For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry. It's over. It's all done. Season (laughs) in the books for for just us with only ones. Yeah. Lonely for a day because 15 games tomorrow. So all other, all the other 30 teams have games tomorrow except for us. That's insane because uh, I think as I'll uh, let's see, the last time we played Nashville, us in Nashville had played the most games in the NHL. So that's actually weird. I didn't realize we were the la- uh, the first team out. <laughs> yeah, like officially, it, like yeah, packed up. <laughs> it's like it's good because the suffering is over. And yeah. we're, the, we're the first ones who kind of just get to sit back and relax. But then it's also like, ah, well, now now we got to wait till October before we get to watch hockey again. Uh, or Meaning, watch meaningful hockey. Again. Well, <laughs> the meaningful Ducks hockey again. Yeah, I would say that. <laughs> unless, I mean, unless you want to watch San Diego. That's still technically yeah. meaningful Ducks hockey. Yeah, yeah at this point, uh, for sure. You'll probably actually start seeing some uh, – Familiar faces that you saw in the regular season actually played playoff hockey for a change. 
Yeah, yeah, you'll <laughs> likely see Max Jones, Sam Steele, uh, Jakob mm-hmm. Larson, Jacob Mangum. Troy Terry. Oh. Uh, Brandy Gooley. Oh, he got hurt. Uh. That's not, not good. And the, and the hey, list goes on and on and on and on and on. So, so once again, we talked about this yesterday. Why was Brendan Gooley playing today? And then guess what? He gets hurt again. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's. What is the point of that? Uh, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, it's kind of weird because I would figure an oblique injury is kind of one of those things that you know, it, it's hard to test outside of in game. And when you're in game, you're far more likely to strain it. Just because you're doing a whole lot more, there's a lot more physical contact. Uh, so any anything on on the sides and your back, you just you're, you're pushed a little bit harder. So it's yeah, kind of surprising they brought him back for one game that meant nothing, other than possibly he felt he was good enough to go, and they thought he was good enough to go, and they wanted to bring you know some of the other guys down low into San Diego to get them ready for playoff hockey is the only thing I can imagine. But yeah, seems seems kind of odd, but hey. He's got a whole summer to rehab it if he wants. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the the thing was is he was going to be available for San Diego, and that was the that's the big bummer now is that's if true. if Troy Terry's out for three months, and if depending on how long Gooley's out for, that he might miss some of the playoffs for San Diego. So now, does San a, Diego still have games to play? Uh, I think they do. I'm pretty sure they okay. do have. Yeah, and I'm not seeing a reason to play Gooley if uh, against against L.A. of all teams, teams that are willing to hurt each other anyways. So, and they got nothing to lose at this point. It's not like getting the suspensions all of a sudden going to ruin their playoff hopes. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a little odd, a little bit of a blow, I guess. But, you know, hey, they're getting Max Jones back, so I, I don't think it hurts as much. No, Max Jones is still <laughs> enough with that. And even Jakob Larson as well. Like, those three guys yeah. together, then you add Magda in there. So they're, they're still getting some big pieces, so it's still going to help them. But, yeah, Gooley was back in this game, only played about three-quarters of a period. Andy Walensky ended up getting sent down to bring Gooley back into this game, so he was uh, playing with San Diego tonight when uh, they just beat the Ontario Reign 6-1. to one. So they're mm-hmm. they're happy to have Chase DeLeo and Sam Carrick, who both factored into their win tonight down there, and Andy Walensky as well. So yeah. it's nice to, to see them doing well. The Reign aren't a great team, but any win right now is a, is a big win for San Diego. So nice to see them kind of turn the tide a bit because they were struggling without having some of the, the, the players that the Ducks have in the players, lineup. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and finally, you know, the, the, the freeway Jack off series is over and, um, the Kings we technically little... won that, didn't they? Because they finished lower than us. So they, technically... not only that, they, yeah, they, they almost did a clean sweep of us, which by the way, they said in the free game, uh, uh, pregame show was that that had never happened in all of the seasons. The Kings have never just swept the ducks. So I thought there was a possibility for that. And of all those seasons to maybe let that happen, might've been this one, but, uh, no, we really showed some real character and uh, buckled down and uh, you know, lost our, our real good chance at Hughes. Well, yeah, Sweet. I mean, all, all these points <laughs> did was the Ducks could have the lowest they could have got or the highest, depending on which way you want to look at the standings. The best pick they could have gotten out of the outcome of this game was seventh. And that yeah. would have been if they lost this game and New York won tomorrow and uh, and then the Vancouver, Vancouver. lost as well. Yeah. So then, or sorry, no, not uh, New York. New York had already had it. Edmonton. Yeah. If Edmonton had won tomorrow, the Ducks lost today, and Vancouver lost tomorrow, the Ducks would have finished. Or Vancouver won tomorrow, the Ducks would have finished in seven. Let's not kid ourselves, though. Edmonton's getting the first overall, right? 
I mean, they're in a better position than the Ducks are to get it, right? So Yeah. But, That's all uh, they need. Let's, let's talk about who is back in this game. Because John Gibson back in the net after we hear all those stories about him losing weight because he was so overworked throughout the uh, season. And then they bring up a stat about his last eight games where he's 7-1. and one. He's got an over 920 save percentage and a pretty decent goals, uh, goals against average. So he seems to be back in form and looked like he was 100% tonight. He stopped 44 shots. He made some pretty yeah. good saves. The the Kings were pretty much giving him everything he could handle. And he looked like the John Gibson we were seeing earlier on in the season. Yeah, I just don't feel like it was uh, uh, the, the volume or the intensity of the game for John Gibson now is, you know, ever since coming back from his injury and really Randy Carlisle's system going out the door, he hasn't been worked as hard as he had been prior. So I can see him starting off as a, you know, a fresh kid, ready to go, you know, make a name for himself. Say so he's in the Vesna talk forever and then slowly declining as the workload becomes overwhelming. He literally faced a season's worth of shots in the first two thirds of the season. Surprise, surprise gets injured kind of a yeah. fluke play, which happens every now and again. But now a little bit of rest, you know, a little bit of rehab, uh, taking out four teeth, which apparently just makes him a better goalie. He's lighter, I think. Yeah, he right. Yeah, he's lighter. Yeah, teeth it's a little now. bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> but, but now, you know, you know, the, the stress is probably not there as much. He's, you know, you know, he may not have recovered all his weight. But I, I ask you, after, a, a, you know, most of a, an offseason – take their their starting weight at the end of the season whether or not they're worked entirely hard most guys have lost quite For a sure. bit of weight so yeah you know, yeah but i mean probably he hasn't gotten enough. it back yet but he's he's fine it was enough to note that it had gotten severe and you yeah, could see it enough. in the play oh. and, and like you could see the fatigue he had from that just from watching <laughs> but, but kind of kind of apexed right there at the uh, all-star game yeah exactly and then from <laughs> basically after the all-star game it just went south for a bit for him but yeah. uh Couple new lines in this game. Uh, obviously, Raquel Steele, Silverberg still together because they've looked like one of the, the Ducks' best lines a bit. And the only real swap was Sprong. Instead of playing with Getzlaff and Richie tonight, he ended up going down and playing with Henrik and Shore, which means Perry came up and played with Getzlaff again to finish the season, which we haven't seen too much of this year. But hey, it's the last game of the season. There's really nothing at stake here. Give it a whirl, put them together. This, this has to be the first time, I think, in a long time. We've seen Getzlaff, Perry, and Richie together because that was the big thing yeah. when they were trying to get Richie going about a season, you know, a season ago or two seasons ago. Is Richie was going to play with Getzlaff and Perry when Getzlaff and Perry were inseparable, and yeah. uh, I don't remember them ever being put together again after that until now. Yeah, no, it's been a while. He even said it in the broadcast. I said it's kind of almost a throwback a little bit to put those three together. It's been a while. They all kind of have a similar style, which is big body, a little bit of a, an edge to them. And uh, power forward, essentially. Uh, and the, the biggest problem is that Richie's never really had the hands to to kind of be that other winger guy. And um, the way Getzlaff kind of sets up Perry, it's just like, you know, the best Richie can do is be a guy in the goalie's face trying screenshots. Uh, but that just doesn't really work well in any case when you're playing with Getzlaff and Perry. You almost need somebody with a little bit of that scoring touch and that finesse. They were hoping he would eventually do. But, you know, I think this is more positioning of trying to figure out what lines might work come, you know, spring training, uh, exhibition, and then into the regular season. Just kind of figuring out where places might fit. So ideas that they maybe had and see where it goes from there. 
Yeah. And as for the blue line, it was pretty much the same. Two thirds of the pairings were the same. And Lindholm was with Larson, Magnet with Holzer. And then mm. Gooley coming back in, he ended up playing the left side, Fowler playing the right side, which was nice to finally see that back together. Mm. Obviously, it uh, didn't last too long in this one. But uh. let's let's uh, let's get into the breakdown because there wasn't a ton that happened in a five-two game. It wasn't really re- extremely exciting, and you would think it would be when there was forty-four sh- or forty-six shots for the Kings and thirty-three for the Ducks. So we got pretty close to getting to eighty shots in this game combined, and not a lot of action. But it starts off where the Ducks caught uh, a break early on with a double post from Austin Wagner. Nah. The Kings were pressing pretty early. Other than the slashing penalty that Kempe took, it was all Kings leading up until their first goal of the game by Matteo. And uh, he just kind of got lucky and picked up a rebound from a Drew Doughty shot. It was wide open and nothing John Gibson can really do on this play. I mean, Amadio has time to pull it into his wheelhouse and then ma- make sure he places the shot before John Gibson can get it, get into the crease. You, you're not really expecting that type of deflection from the rebound. So it's a tough one for him. Yeah, I mean, he made an initial shot. It ends up going back uh, to the point. They fire again, and then there's a deflection. At that point, you just hope it hits you, and it did, but it hits the pad and then bounces right to Amadia, who has kind of a little bit of time to not only take it. Holzer just figuring out where it is. He goes down, actually does a decent job. I mean, he tries to take it away as much as he can. The shot goes between his legs and then under the blocker arm and just to the side of Gibson. And this is just one that just somehow found the right angle to go just all the way in, and there's there's not much uh, Gibson was going to do. Holder didn't play it bad. It was just it was kind of a broken play that and a, a perfect shot, like one that's not a great shot, but just one that had to be the way it was for it to count. <laughs> so you feel yeah. bad, but at the same time, you're not like, oh man, they just suck so bad on it. Yeah, there was just one mistake by Fowler. Uh, where he I think he doesn't end up clearing the zone off a backhand pass, which a lot of people were mentioning to us as one of the reasons that led to that goal. I haven't had time to go back and look at it, but it it doesn't sound like it's impossible because we've seen that from Cam Fowler a couple times this year where he's failed failed to clear the zone on that attempted backhand pass, and it's it's led to a goal on the other end. I'll usually fault a defenseman if that's the case. You know, I mean, you can, I mean, that's going back and saying like this is what started it all. But there were multiple other chances where the Ducks probably could have played a little bit more solid in front, trying to get rebounds. It was just, it was just fluky all around. Yeah, you, you hope he gets it out so he can maybe put a little bit of fault on him. But at the same time, it's like it was like the third or fourth shot after that, and that's the one that went in. There, there's a lot of things that could have been prevented. It was a sequence of uh, bad operations that ended up happening that. Are making that happen. Yeah, but uh, the Ducks will score after that, not too long after, where there's a big scramble in front of the net, and uh, somehow Jones finds it on the back end <laughs> yeah. and scoops it out to Carter Rowney, who, despite everything with the contract issues that people had, <laughs> you know, three-year deal and everything, he's having a career year for the Ducks this year. Seven goals, 20 points on the season. Not really what you would have expected from a fourth-line guy or from Carter Rowney in general. But uh, he was Johnny on the spot for that goal. And Max jo- Max Jones doing the dirty work, which is what we kind of expect from him, getting just enough on that pass to get it out to Rowney. Yeah, not only that, not, you know, um, you had those guys, and then uh, Derek Grant was on that line as well. And I think it was just a shift before. First thing he was saying is, you know what, line's been really good. And I'm all, oh, I watched Derek Grant. I thought that line was doing good. And he goes like, Sam Steele. 
Sam Steele's yeah. doing good. And then, like, the very next shift, the fourth line ends up scoring of what I thought was really good. Derek Grant had a couple chances, you know, on, on that particular play. He threw just on net, ends up create, or he threw it towards the front where Max Jones is able to crash the net. He does an amazing job of, of not scoring, which isn't really amazing, but he's really good at it. Uh, but then he ends up where he could have just, you know, floundered it or just tried really hard to do it. He ends up just making a really nice pass between a lot of legs right to Rowney. And Rowney didn't waste any time and just buried it. It was a really nice looking goal that was really almost just like a scramble play. So it was uh, it was fun to watch. If Max Jones can't score, at least he's setting somebody up uh, for nice plays. Well, we've talked about how the fourth line has been one of the best lines for the Ducks lately, where, you know, they don't get all the ice time. They only play about nine or ten minutes of five on five per game but last game they didn't allow a shot against on five on five play and this game they were one of the better lines again for the ducks and it's it's kind of been like that all season when jones grant and Rowney have been put together they provide a lot of energy they still have the creativity and the scoring ability as you've seen with max jones and with carter Rowney, and even at times Derek grant maybe not so much in his second stint around with the Ducks, but you know he has that ability, and he is the one that sets up that play by throwing the puck on net and allowing that scramble to take place to begin with. So, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to them coming back and being a fourth line next year. Uh, Two of them will be back for sure. I would rather Jones get bumped up in the lineup, but, uh, I mean, you know, I don't want him to spend the entire year on the fourth line, but if that was the line that started the year, I wouldn't really be too upset about it. I wouldn't either, mostly because I'd like to see him just get a few more goals under his belt. If he does that, like we were hoping after he scored the first one or even the second one, we're kind of like, oh, come on, catch a bottle. There's more goals got to be coming behind here. And it just hasn't quite materialized. So it's, it's like I almost want to like, hey, play fourth line, get those grinding goals, get a couple chip a man, bump you off. And all of a sudden goals start kind of kicking in a little bit easier. I'm fine with him playing you know, fourth line, not necessarily against the top competition. I let him work into that. This guy's still a kid, uh, still has, you know, plenty of growing and, um, you know, just figuring out the game anyways. So I'm very happy if you got your fourth line set and it can be productive and not cost you. That's a great start. Start adding Kasha, Silverberg, Henrik, you you know, these people start coming back and are healthy, adding Comtois. I mean, all of a sudden the team starts like looking like they've got four legitimate lines. And, you know, usually teams struggle to put up three. If they're lucky, they can maybe get four. But if you've already got a fourth line that's that's pretty solid, then I could see the other three lines, at least for the Ducks, filling out pretty good next season. Yeah, they've got a lot of potential to fill the rest of their roster next year, especially, you know, Andre Cash is going to be a huge addition when he comes back. And yeah. not to mention, like you said, guys like Comtois and maybe a, a full season with a little bit more confidence from guys like Sam Steele. Look at how he finished the season, Max yeah. Jones, and and a healthy Terry. Trey Terry as yeah. well. So it, it looks good. But the Ducks finished this first period, shots tied at 13, and they go into the second. And this is where we find out that Brendan Gooley hasn't been on the bench since late in the first period. And eventually, later on in the game, the Ducks announced that he was out with an upper body injury, which we've already discussed. But this was the the brief point where I got a lot of mentions about him not being in the game. I didn't even notice it to this point, to be honest. But, uh, <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> I'm, I'm used to ignoring number two on the ice. And uh, it hasn't really transitioned over from, from who wore that last. So, Brendan Gooley, sorry about that. But, uh, yeah, we, we haven't, uh, <laughs> didn't, I didn't notice him too much on the ice. But... The Ducks will get another goal, and yeah. this one is, again, all thanks to Max Jones. Maybe a little bit more than the first one. 
but this is a, a wonderful power move down <laughs> yeah. low from Max Jones. Shields the puck away and then throws a backhand pass between about two or three Kings players to none other than a Cambodian Holzer. Seems to oh, be the yeah. guy. Scary, scary and special. Yeah, I, I mean, he's got his first of the season in game number 82, oh, so good oh, for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, didn't play the entire season <laughs> with the Ducks, but not the guy you expect to be jumping up in the play there, but when you're out there with Derek Grant and Carter Rowney and Jason, Jacob Magna, somebody's got to do the work. Somebody's got to <laughs> jump up. Someone's got to score goals here. Uh, you know, Max Jones is the most creative guy on the ice, and that's why he's the guy setting up the play there, but it's a nice uh, pinch in by Holzer to recognize that Jones made that move, and uh, he gets rewarded. It's nice to see a guy like that get his first goal of the season because you know he's out of a contract at the end of the year. He's going to go to yeah. the World Championships and play with Germany. So he's trying to make an, an impression if he's going to stick around in the NHL. Yeah, he's a question mark moving forward, especially with the Ducks. Uh, I don't believe he's under contract after this year. So uh, with as many young defensemen coming up in the Ducks organization, he, he might be the odd man out with the exception of he at least brings some size um, or like Bob Murray's talked about in the offseason, he's looking to add a bigger defenseman, possibly one with a good point shot for a power play thing. So, um, you know, you know, good on him. But, yeah, this this uh, Max Jones play, this one was far more intentional, <laughs> the way he yeah. got it over to Holzer, and uh, all he had to do was just slam it home. So, uh, you know, good play, good move. Not much Campbell's going to do on that one. Um, just great individual effort and a heads-up play by Max Jones and a good finish by Holzer, which, like you said, first goal of the season. He's, he's not a guy you find, you know, on the doorstep of uh, the crease trying to bang home uh, rebounds or, you know, bang home shots. But that's what I kind of like about this Duck team. Ever since they moved away from Carlisle, you'll see a lot of those defensemen that low now where you would never see them that low before. Yep. No, exactly. And again, it is nice to see him get on the score sheet. And when you look at uh, who I mentioned that is out on the ice at that point, uh, it's no surprise that Max Jones is the guy who made the move and had the primary assist on that play, especially the way he's been playing as of late. But uh, for the rest of the period, Perry ends up taking a tripping penalty. L.A. doesn't really get anything going. They had five power plays in this game, and I believe they didn't have a power play goal at all, and their power play really didn't look too dangerous. I would like to credit the Ducks' penalty kill, but it really was mostly that the L.A. Kings' power play just couldn't get anything going, and that's been something that's plagued them all season, among other things. I mean, they are second last in the NHL. They've had a lot of issues this year, but Daniel Sprong would finishes the season strong, gets his 14th as a Duck, 14 in, I think, 46 games. He was on pace if, for over a whole season for about 23 goals. And this is a guy who's been healthy, scratched a couple times this season as well. Yeah. So it would have been nice to see a guy with that type of production being put into lineup a little bit more. But Shore has a drop pass that goes to Sprong, and uh, he wires home a one timer that I don't think he gets like the the whole thing. He gets a, a small piece of it. Maybe it takes a deflection, but it kind of just floats past Campbell <laughs> yeah. in, in the top corner. Yeah, and you can kind of see Campbell almost be like. Damn it. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah. one of those ones that you wish you kind of had back. And um, yeah, for Sprong, I mean, for a while, all of a sudden he was he was quite quiet. You know, didn't didn't really, uh, you, know, uh, you know, to my recollection, didn't really jump out at me the last few games that I've seen. So it's nice to see him get back on the scoreboard, put his name back in there, because right now there's there's a lot of right wings coming in next season. And he's going to have to try and fight for a position on. So it's kind of kind of interesting and good that, you know, he gets in there. He's got that scoring ability. And like you said, I mean, if he was putting up 23 goals, if not for uh, the last goal of the game, 
that would be tied for the uh, you know team lead. So it's uh, you know someone that can score, be young, and on a team friendly contract at least for another year is the guy I think that might stick around um, come uh, next season. Yeah, and and that would end the second period shots wise, twenty five twenty five. Again, a completely even period. You go from 13-13 in the first, 12-12 in the second for a total of 25-25. and 25. That's what it kind of felt like in the game. Yeah, the Ducks had a 3-1 lead, but the chances were fairly even. If you go and you look at natural stat trick and look at the scoring chances throughout the game, for the first two periods, they were relatively even. The Ducks were uh, 11 for 10 in scoring chances in the first, and both teams had eight in the second period. So yeah. the Ducks were just taking advantage of their chances, and they had a, a few more high-danger chances. They were 10 to 6 at that point. So the Ducks yeah. were getting a little bit more quality chances, and that's why at that point they were leading 3-1. to one. Uh, But they would continue the onslaught in the third period. Uh, but first, we got to talk about Nick Ritchie making mm. sure he ends up leading the team in penalty minutes <laughs> by taking taking about I think eight or nine, eight or eight to ten penalty minutes in in the third period. Here, uh, it starts off by he gets either slashed by Ledoux or something. I couldn't really see. He gets hit or slashed. He takes uh, exception to that. Goes after Ledoux, and then in his wrath to try and go get Ledoux, he ends up punching Dion Phaneuf on the way there. And then not only does he break his stick while cross-checking Ledoux, he ends up taking an extra roughing penalty. So he ends up getting four on the play. And, you know, if this was a game that mattered, I don't think it would have changed for Nick Ritchie because no. this seems like a play he still would have had. Likely, this game didn't matter at all. But this is not the type... This is what we've been accustomed to from Nick Ritchie, taking dumb penalties. Like, you already took a cross-check penalty. What's the point of then also going and getting now a double minor by taking another two-minute roughing penalty after that? Like, this is something I thought he took out of his game at this point. But, you know, there was no reason for him to get that upset at that point, especially when you're up three to one. Like, you're, you're, you know, a two-minute or four-minute power play at that point could have got the LA Kings back into the game. Yeah. Uh, biggest, biggest gripe I got against uh, Richie, um, besides, like, Great eight chances for him to score. He doesn't seem to do. Um, besides that, it's probably just his his penchant for taking penalties. He's just he's just he makes bad decisions at the wrong time. He's got to yeah. kind of be our tough guy, and I get that. And that's probably the only reason I would even try and keep him on the team is that he gives us some sort of grit up front, where it's not guys like Getzloff or Perry who have to get into a fight. You got a guy like Richie who you're probably not going to miss his, you know, five minutes on the ice. So I like that, but he he tends to to fall into that old style where oh you just disrespected me now I have to make it a point to go after you no matter how many penalties I take to get to you and this is just another prime example of that and it's it's something he's he's not going to have a very you know much longer career in the NHL if he keeps doing that crap and he's not producing. Yeah, there's a difference between players who do that and then players like, for example, Matthew Kachuk, who will play on the edge like that. They'll avoid getting penalties, and then they'll goat you into taking a penalty based off what they did. I mean, Nick Ritchie has the potential to be that player, but he, I think he just he just snaps sometimes like he did in this play. He can't control his anger, and then he snaps a stick on a guy in a cross-check and then decides to go and just take a roughing penalty after that. He Usually he's not aware, it seems like, of the situation his team's in yeah. when he just starts seeing red. And then it doesn't really matter to him if he takes, you know, two, four, six, <laughs> eight penalties. Just penalty disrespect minutes. me. 
Yeah, so yeah. I mean that's something that will probably never change with Nick Ritchie because we've always kind of seen it. But he still is a guy who can put up, you know, fifteen to twenty goals and thirty points in a season. So he's not the worst guy to have on a team. It's but just, at what cost, man? At what cost? Yeah, it, it, uh, eventually, and there's been times uh, in the past. eventually in the playoffs. That's that's yeah. where the final straw is, and I just I don't want it to get to that point. Is my only thing. It's like. You know, I mean, I, I guess he played first line today, so he was out there maybe a little bit more often. But, I mean, that's that's a guy of fortune. I'm sorry. He's just not top six. He's bottom six. And, and let him be the bottom six and, and go against the other ruffians, you know, not necessarily go in and, and be a detriment to that top line. That's my opinion on it. Yeah, Jacob brings up a good point in our YouTube chat. He kind of describes Richie perfectly and what we were mentioning. He said at the beginning of the season, he felt like he was playing more control, but as the season spiraled away, he just went back into his old ways and really didn't care uh, to even try and, and play the way he was at the beginning of the season. And he also said he has great potential when he's playing focused and in control of his emotions. And I completely agree with that because Nick Ritchie seemed to be in control at the beginning of the season, and he was playing a, a lot better. And you know, at times... Uh, on this podcast, we mentioned it was one of the the only Ducks who was actually improving from last season and not regressing. Yeah. And uh, he was doing that for the most part of the season. And then when things started to get really bad, he started falling back into his old ways. And, and then even when uh, Randy Carlisle got fired and Bob Murray came in, I think it was just too late for him at that point. And he just couldn't get back into the way he was playing at the beginning of the season. And I don't think <laughs> he, he needs a given... life coach. Yeah. And I, I don't <laughs> think he was given the same opportunities that he was yeah. given at the beginning of the season when things started to spiral well, away from yeah, Well, once he first got in there because he was a holdout for a while. Yeah, um, yeah I, I agree. He's, got, he's shown signs of the potential, at least this season. He hasn't shown it in seasons past. It, you know, he's just been highly regarded. And so I still haven't seen enough to make me think he's a high-end talent that could play top six minutes. Until he does that and cleans up his, you know, I'm willing if he's putting up top six numbers and he's still taking penalties because he's playing on the edge, I can maybe accept that. But he's not, in my opinion, putting up top six forward points or, you know, any sort of, um, you know, or at least on a consistent basis. And if he's not doing that and he's bottom six, you can't really try and lead your team in penalty minutes with stupid plays. I get standing up or getting in fights and you're leading your team in penalty minutes because of fights. But if you're just doing stupid crap like you did today, just don't just bury him, bury him in the third or fourth line until he gets his act together and just make him aware of what he needs to do. But you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not in there telling him what to do and whether he's listening or not. Production wise, I think he's an okay third liner and he's a, a good fourth liner, which yeah. is fine to have. He just has to clean up his discipline. But a guy who we don't have to debate if he is a top six player or two guys. We don't have to debate if they're top six players We're involved on the second goal here and a shorthanded, off the Richie penalty, the second Richie penalty that was about 30 seconds from expiring. <laughs> yeah. Jakob Silverberg and Sam Steele break out. They have a little bit of a give and go. And then it just becomes a Jakob Silverberg show after that, where he ends up just <laughs> cutting in between about three or four Kings players. And Sam Steele just goes to the back door. I mean, he makes a smart play. He just goes mm -hmm. to the back post and says, find me. And Silverberg yeah. just skates in between a couple guys, draws all the attention to himself. And Sam Steele's literally wide open on the back door to score his seventh of the season. That's his fourth goal and fourth assist over his last seven games. Unfortunately, <laughs> it comes at the end of the season for him. I'm sure out of every Ducks player on this team, he's probably the the last guy who wants the season to end today, the I way know, he's right. playing as of late. <laughs> but 
you know, it's it's so nice to see him play in this way. And, and it's it's what's really good is now he it, the season's not technically over for him because he can go down to San Diego and continue and build on his success in the NHL, which is really great because he he's just been excellent. It's 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 nice to see him finally living up to the expectations that we put on him early on in his career. Yeah, you know, and I, I was, you know, there was the one guy I, I was always hearing was, hey, he's the next guy to make the, the team. No one else is ready. And then uh, me and Pat went and we saw, you know, the training camp with the rookies. And I looked and I saw Troy Terry and I saw Max Jones. I saw Sam Steele. He, he looked fine. Uh, but in my opinion, just he wasn't at their level. And even Troy Terry and Max Jones didn't really, uh, obviously, Max Jones didn't start with the team. But Troy Terry, uh, you know, even though he looked good in there, he, he didn't look great in the beginning. And then went down to San Diego, got better. It took Sam Steele a little bit longer, but I'm super happy the way that he's kind of progressed went through the run where everyone else seemed to be getting called up. That could sometimes just kick you below the belt a little bit and, you know, make you kind of go like, well, what am I doing wrong? You know, I was, I was at this point now I'm getting being passed up, but he stuck with it. He did great down in San Diego. He's come in and has made the most of the, the short amount of uh, opportunities he had. Uh, I mean, that goal, that was all Silverberg. I mean, Pat could have been standing there with skates on. He probably could have buried that shot. But at the same time, you can't really take away from what Sam Steele has done. I'm really happy for him. And, yeah, like I said, I think he'll probably do – he'll take this experience, go down to San Diego, you know, going into the playoffs and do a whole lot more. And all it's going to do is just kind of bump up his stock for Bob Murray in the um, uh, upcoming season. You know, it's just one more great, you know, good center to have with all the other centers that we've got. At one point earlier in the season, we were questioning if he was going to be ready at all this year. And uh, that was leading to questions if he was really going to be ready to carry a load and be a top six player for the Ducks next year. And and that doesn't, you know, that's not out of the question, but it does, yeah. it seems a little bit clearer that he can be that guy for the Ducks next year because, you know, they still have Getzlaff, they still have Adam Henrique, but it would be nice for one of the young guys to step in because likely Isaac Lindstrom isn't going to be that guy next year. He yeah. could be a valuable player for the Ducks. He likely, I would think, of everybody, he could be the guy that spends more time in San Diego because of the experience that a lot of the Ducks use. He's also had. 19. And, and yeah. what Bob Murray said in the uh, Bob Murray bacon pancake breakfast thingy uh, was basically they don't want to rush anybody. They, they've made too many mistakes. They said it with Cam Fowler. They just rushed the development, and they really need to keep those in there. So when you talk about Lundstrom, he's good. He's played against men, but he's 19. And the center, and it, it changes a little bit. They, they gave him a little bit of a tryout, but he's probably one of those guys that, yes, will get a little bit more seasoning in the AHL next season. Uh, Sam Steele would probably be a more likely candidate already, given his age and what he's been able to do You know, in this little short term. He's definitely going to get probably a longer look come uh, training camp than, uh, say, a Lundstrom or something like that. Yeah, exactly. It'll be nice to see him. Uh hopefully excel in that role and improve on what he's done this season. Cause he could be a really big part of the, the duck season. I mean, he's on pace for about a little bit over 40 points. If he was playing an 82 game season at this pace. And uh, I could see him maybe getting close to 50. If he can build on the success he had at the end of the season this year. And I don't think there's any reason he shouldn't. He'll go into the off season. He'll train hard. He'll get a little bit stronger. He'll have that experience. He'll, he'll have the experience of going hopefully deep with the goals in the playoffs. And I think he'll uh, he'll be ready to go next season and, and be a possible 2C for the Ducks, depending on how things go with Adam Henrique in, in the off season. But to finish off the third period, uh, Clifford would end up scoring a goal. Of course, Kyle Clifford. I think he scored in the last two or three games. <laughs> it Ducks just feels. 
<laughs> it's just a guy that I don't really like to look at, and I don't really like when he plays us, and then he always ends up scoring a goal. Yeah, he just it, annoys it, me on a lot of different levels. <laughs> the good know. thing is it was uh, it was disallowed because it was offside, so technically he didn't end up scoring the goal. So yeah, good but thing for us. It was the yeah, point. He tried. In, in my heart, he did. <laughs> and that's what hurts the most. I know, right? <laughs> I was at the watch party for the, the last time the Ducks played the Kings, and we were sitting at a table. I was like, Kyle Clifford again? Because he scored in that game, and I believe he scored in the one before that, and, and I can't remember three games back, but if I I would assume he's probably scored in the last 100 games for the Kings against the Ducks, because that's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind and of he's, one of those guys that just has a team that he ends up scoring for. It's like, the dude will have like six goals and seven will be against the Ducks. So yeah. it, it just it feels like that's the way he's going to to play against us, which, you know, I mean, his style is kind of a grinder. Get get in there, you know, get 30 goals. And, you know, but he always scores nice goals against the Ducks. Like even this one was a nice. No, like, that's the thing. That's his normal back, style. Yeah. But whatever it is against the Ducks, it just all of a sudden it becomes, you know, better than yeah. Kopitar. Yeah. Definitely better than Kopitar. Uh, <laughs> Kopitar and uh, Kovalchuk were non-existent in this game. I didn't really notice them one bit. I don't even uh, know. Did Kovalchuk play? I didn't even see. He did, yeah. He one did? guy I did oh, wow. notice was uh, Grandstrom, and he's becoming a duck killer just He's another one, yeah. That's uh, Kyle Clifford. And he actually scores in this one. He walks in, makes a move on Larson. Somehow the puck ends up getting by John Gibson. It just kind of bounces around in the pads and finds its way into the back of the net. Yeah, but Grandstrom... I believe has also scored in the last three games against the Ducks. And uh, the, the first game he played, I think, of his NHL career was against the Ducks, I believe. And he's been uh, excellent for the Kings. He came over in the trade that sent Jake Muzzin over to the Toronto Maple Leafs. And uh, this one cut the lead at this point to 4-2. to two. Uh, Even with that goal, really didn't feel like L.A. was going to get back into this. Like, this was against the run of play. So was the yeah. Kyle Cliff. Also, maybe they're generating a little bit of momentum, but... The Ducks seem to have a handle on this. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of continues on uh, towards the end. And uh, Silverberg could not be contained. Yeah, no, Silverberg champion. <laughs> he blasted one right past that goalie who was sitting on the bench. Yeah. Well, you know, he needed – it was either – two. one thing was going to happen in this game. Either Ricard Raquel was going to get two and he was going to hit 20, or Silverberg was going to score and get a new career high of, of 24. Uh, and he leaves it to late, late in the game to the empty netter, uh, but he ends up burying it in there, gets his 24th of the season, a career high for him, which is nice to see at least one of the Ducks hit a milestone. I mean, Ricard Raquel's wouldn't have been a milestone. It just would have been nice to see nice him to hit 20, 20. <laughs> after the, the struggle. Of be season nice. How many 20 goal scorers do we have, one? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's just Silverberg. I, yeah, it's I, just Silverberg. Uh, I don't think anybody else is really close. So, and then yeah. meanwhile, uh, Tampa Bay has three forty goal scores. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's all right. Edmonton has two one hundred point getters, and they're not in the playoffs either. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're only I mean, and, and they're lower than us. And they're lower than us. Those two guys combined might have more points than the entire Ducks roster, and they're. they're and I uh, think that's why we're probably getting McDavid in the off season. Oh my God! I just saw that jersey that, everywhere. It must be true. That whole thing. <laughs> well, basically, okay. So the game is over. The Ducks won five to two. Shots were forty-six to thirty-three yeah. for LA. Now let's get into this whole McDavid thing because yeah. there was a, a, I guess, a comment he made or an article that got put out on, like, I think Sportsnet that was like, what, what would happen if McDavid uh, requested a trade on Edmonton or what, like, how would that happen and or like just some type of article 
based around that premise of him asking for a trade. I out think of there was, a, I might be wrong, but I thought there was something where he got interviewed after a loss and, and he, you know, I, I didn't see the interview, but from, from what I gather from people who were commenting on it was just him being absolutely frustrated with management and how everything has gone, but more like he's just frustrated and you can understand him being frustrated but yeah. he's also just got paid a huge sum of money. It's a frustrating season. He's hoping maybe next year. But everyone's just jumping in like, like oh, he's frustrated. He's looking to be traded. He's demanding trades. And that's yeah. not, no, there was, there was that interview. Now. There was that interview. I saw that interview. But then based off that interview, some uh, yeah, legitimate like writer. Got blown out of proportion. Actually, like, yeah. Never somebody actually wrote an article that said what would happen if Conor McDavid uh, asked for a trade at Edmonton. But then everyone was take? saying, like, oh, he's asking for one. It's like, he's not asking yeah. for one. And then he's of just course, frustrated. Of course, fans of every team jumped on and said, what would it take to get Conor McDavid to our oh, team? Yeah. We got asked that a few times. Which, like, I mean, listen, it's an, it's not a bad question. It's, I mean, if, it, if it's coming up in the news and you want to ask us a question, that's fine. Uh, yeah. But I think at this point, one, Conor McDavid, I don't think would ask for a trade at Edmonton at this point. He'd have to get even worse than this. You know, I don't think he's a few the guy. Years down the road. I don't think he's the type of guy to bail, especially after signing a big contract. And I think he wants to win in Edmonton. He, he's just frustrated. I mean, everybody would be frustrated in that point where you've got literally no depth on your team and you have two 100-point scorers, possibly a 50-goal scorer in Leon Dreisaitl, and you can't get anything done. So, yeah. It, and it's it's just mismanagement, and that that can frustrate you. You, you know, at some point, you you stop biting your tongue a little bit, and you express your frustration, which is fine because it also endears you to the fans that are probably going through the same experience where they're frustrated. And you know, it's nice to hear that your captain, your leader, your your generational player on your team is also frustrated, and not happy with the way things are going. But that's not necessarily a, a you know two feet out the door, which is whatever we kind of made it seem. And, uh, yeah, to, to get, you know, that worked up on it. Oh, he wants out. He demands a trade. It's like, oh, what would it take to get him? I don't know. What does it take to get Ovi? What does it take to get, you know, yeah, it would be, it'd be it, an astronomical. Asinine. Don't ask that question. It, yeah. <laughs> it, it, like, somebody asked me, and I and I had to sit there and say, like, I honestly don't know, but it would likely take probably two first-round picks. Your, whoever team it is, your best young player, which for the Ducks is Ricard Raquel, like a roster player, and then probably two of your best prospects. So you're looking at Sam Steele. Definitely strong defense. Max Jones, and maybe Cam Fowler gets thrown in. Like you don't know because <laughs> these players, <laughs> like that's that's the thing with these deals. These deals don't happen. So when somebody asks you what the return could be, you don't know because literally yeah. this is the best player in the game. These guys don't get traded. You there's good players who get traded. Uh, but players of uh, uh, there was the greatest yeah. player who got traded. Yes, yeah. I mean, and what team was he Metsky on? Got traded. So and where did he get, get traded to? Southern California. Yeah, it's listen. It I, that <laughs> people just love living. Yeah, that idea is is it makes sense. Yes, it can happen. There's a possibility he could ask for a trade. I don't think any the, team is that stupid to trade two generational players within a 30 year span. But the problem the problem I had is is if you're a team who's gonna make that deal, you're likely a team that is pretty close to competing. You might be just on the outside looking in, and you need a number one center and you have the assets to make that happen. If you if you're a rebuilding team, you don't do it because and as great as Connor McDavid is, do you take on a twelve million dollars cap hit to handicap yourself immediately, trade 
likely two first round picks when you're a middling team to begin with you don't know where those are going to be they're probably not going to be lottery protected because Edmonton is going to make sure that they don't get screwed over are you going to trade away your best young player and maybe another roster player your two top prospects like that's just all assumptions but why would you do that you're, you're trading away essentially you know six or seven guys for Connor McDavid yes he's the best player in the game but you're forfeiting your entire rebuild for that and then think about Connor McDavid's point of view. It's like, why would he go from a meddling team that's Edmonton, where he's got a line mate that can also put up at least 100 points, at least that's a start somewhere, to try and go to a team that's maybe a fringe team, the same as Edmonton? I mean, why would you waive your no-trade contract and then realize that they are trading? You are going to a team that is now getting rid of their future because now you're it. Yeah. I mean, so, like, for him there's not a whole lot of teams they would really want to jump on board unless it was a team that was really showing where where that one step and we've got so many of these to get rid of that we can get rid of half of them bring you on we still got the other really great half that we're going to make it work so yeah. it's just all around edmonton doesn't benefit unless they get an asinine amount of uh draft picks young prospects and even you know players that end up being on the roster right away and, you know, it just had to be a complete overpayment. No one would want to do that. And Connor McDavid would have to choose to want to go to whatever team is asking for him. You know, yeah. that, that no move cause is just, you know, it's up to him if he wants to go somewhere. So it's not, you can, you can hypothesize all you want, but, uh, you know, I don't think he's really going to move, you know, unless it's to an elite team. And the elite team is going to have to give up someone really, really good <laughs> to get him. Why did this never happen with Crosby? Oh, oh well, he uh, won. That's why. Yeah, he won. So that's why. It's, I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable we're even having this discussion. But let's yeah. let's move on to our own rookie, who is also happens to be an Edmonton native, in <sighs> Sam Steele, and uh -oh. he has had an excellent span of games, as we've already mentioned. Over his final seven games of the season, he had four goals and four assists, including a hat trick against the Vancouver Canucks. Mm -hmm. I mean. I could talk about Sam Steele all night, how nice it is to see him get to this point and, and have that confidence and start producing. But uh, living up to the hype finally, and I don't want to dwell too much on it because we've talked about Sam Steele a lot, but what are your projections for him next year? Because, you know, he's he's having a strong finish to the season. Could you see him as possibly being a guy who could get 20 goals, 50 points next year? Yeah, under the right system. So once again, if, if you know, we're going on a few different assumptions, I'm going to go on the assumption that Dallas Eakins comes up and becomes the next coach. Um, if he's the next coach and the way that he plays with young players, uh, I feel Sam Steele gets the same shot as anybody else. And I feel that he can be a third or fourth line center. If they roll four lines and, you know, it's not that that old school mentality where, hey, seniority gets the best of everything and everyone else has to work their way up to it. If that's the case and the whole idea at the end of last season was we got to get younger and faster, you know, through injury, we've kind of made that happen a little bit quicker. But you look at what could potentially be the start of next season in that roster, it's going to be a lot of 20-somethings and young 20-somethings. And Sam Steele falls right in that. And there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, I won't say necessarily, it also kind of depends on what Kessler does. There's maybe a little bit of a vacuum there at center. I mean, in my opinion, you've got your Getzloff, you've got your Henrique. And then right there, you could have Sam Steele. You could have Grant. You could, uh, you know, there are potentials in there. But he definitely feels to me like a third to fourth line center. It just depends how he ends up producing. And if he's hot and they do what they've been doing the last third of the season, they just play the hot players and they roll four lines 
a lot better than he did in the beginning of the season. I don't see a reason he couldn't get 20 goals. 20 goals would be very nice, a nice addition, especially from the center position. Um, but, yeah, this team's trying to get faster. They're, they definitely want to score more goals. And uh, the way that they're playing now kind of adds to their offense. They play better defense, which actually translates a little bit better to their offensive game as well. So if he can just keep standing on that backside of the net and let Silverberg just keep feeding him the puck, he's golden. Yeah, and this kind of leads into the the next part that we had because Eric Stevens had an article where he was looking at yeah. next season and he predicted the opening night roster for 2019-2020. It's, it's very early, as he mentioned in the article, and it's hard to do at this point because you have no idea, one, who the Ducks draft. are going to draft. Yeah. Uh, you know, they could even still f- draft where they're they're sitting right now at eight and get a guy that impresses at camp and ends up making the roster. You never know. I mean, eight is still high enough that it's not impossible for that kind of play. Uh, and then if you end up winning the lottery, getting up to Jack Hughes or Capital Cackle, you have to make room for them. But yeah. he based it off of who is on the Ducks roster now and not assuming that they're going to grab anybody in free agency and draft because you can't look at that. But what he had was Raquel Steele Silverberg as the Ducks' top line, Comtois, Gatslaff, and Terry as the second line, Shore, Henrik, and Cash as the third, and Jones, Rowney, and Perry as the fourth, with the spares being Kessler, Ritchie, and Sprong. First off, this really shows the issue the Ducks have with opening roster spots next year, yeah. when we have five lines of players who are likely going to be good enough to play for the Ducks next year. None of them on expiring contracts. All of them will be back. Kessler, the only exception, because we have no idea what is going to happen with his career. That's also not even throwing Eves into the mix because, again, we still we assume he's not going to be available, but you have no idea. So yeah. you've got a good amount of players here, like 16 players up, up front that are signed through next year that could play. But other than that, these look really good. I mean, I'm I would be fine with these. See, I told you next year was going to be good. You didn't want to believe me. I mean, it, it's it's a lot of ifs, right? It, <laughs> yeah. It's like, it, it looks really good, but it's also because we believe in our prospects. So, like, Sam Steele with Raquel and Silverberg looks really good, but Sam Steele has to perform and be, like you said, that 20-goal score, 50-point getter. Comtois with uh, Getzlaff and Terry looks really good, but Comtois has to perform, and he's only played a small handful of NHL games we'll have to see you know he could have the similar thing where we hyped up sam Steele, thought he was going to do really well come to could get into the nhl next season and not perform at the same level we expected him i'm gonna have to go back down to san diego yeah and then there's also the injury bug i mean so in in one place it's kind of good to have all that depth because it seems like the ducks for whatever reason season in season out they they are way way up there in the man games lost due to injuries so um it's you know Something that uh, it's nice to have a little bit of the competition. Um, I'm not 100% sure that I would. He said Getzloff would be on the second line. Yeah, he had Getzloff would come to Ontario as the second line because part of his article, I think he said, is that Sam Steele could potentially usurp Getzloff as the top line center next year. Man. I like Sam Steele. I really do. But, um, you know, Getzoff hasn't shown a, enough drop-off in his game to make me think that he's going to have any problem being the number one center. And quite honestly, you know, the, the leader on the team, like, like we've noted multiple times this season, when he's not in there, the Ducks are a completely different team and not a better one. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would still have Getzoff in there for sure. Sam Steele's in the mix. I have Henrique in there. Uh, 
I feel there's still a little bit of a learning curve for Sam Steele. It's great. It's at the end of the season, but we're, we're also playing teams Calgary. Uh, you know, you got a hat trick against Vancouver. We played Calgary in the last one. They sat most of their players. They're playing the Kings, the second worst team in the NHL or third worst team. I think th- yeah. these aren't tough, tough competition. So I'd be more interested to see what he produces through the season. I mean, there's going to be, you know, bumps in the road. and It's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for some of the guys who are coming in and having a good end to the season. But uh, it's the end of the season, and not a lot of teams are really putting up a bunch of stiff competition against us. So we'll see how and next I, season I think goes. The, I think the same thing can be said for the beginning of the season. I mean, Ricky said in the chat, here's the thing. Comtois was a point per game while with the team. But, yeah, he only played about seven games, I believe, with the Ducks. I mean, that is as small a sample size as you can get. And it was clear to see, looking at his numbers, that he was performing at at an unsustainable pace. You know, his shooting percentage was astronomically high. I think he only had about seven shots. It was like he was shooting one. He had one shot per game, pretty much. And uh, he was getting in good positions. Yes, he was taking advantage of his opportunities. But there's no way that was going to sustain. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that Maxim Comtois isn't going to be a good player and that he isn't going to produce next year. I just think we have to temper our expectations with him based on what we've seen and the development from Sam Steele, Max Jones, and Troy Terry this year. They all came in at the beginning of the season, or at least uh, Sam Steele and Troy Terry did, didn't produce, had to go down to San Diego, and then eventually near the end of the season, they got more comfortable and they finally started putting the puck in the back of the net. Now, Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just saying with with uh, Comtois too. It's just like uh, yeah, there was a small sample size. And they didn't want to burn one of the the years off of the contract, so they let him go back. Unfortunately, they couldn't ever bring him back after that. But Bob Murray even said, "Listen, he's wasting away in that one. He's playing in the minors, and the dude is an adult. So he's, he's an adult playing yeah. against kids. He, he's he's you know not fit for there. He shouldn't be in there. He should definitely be in the AHL." So, uh, once again, I would temper the expectation of, wow, look at what he did in the juniors. Like, okay, move that junior to the AHL where you start actually playing a little bit bigger guys, guys that maybe you can't just run over all the time and out muscle, see where you get from there and see if that can also translate to the NHL. I know a lot of guys who started off really good with the Ducks early on in their their career, and it kind of just fell away. Or just with other teams in general. There's been tons of players who started out well with teams that have been highly sought after and and highly regarded prospects and things just didn't pan out for them. And I don't want to scare anybody and think that Maxime Comtois isn't going to pan out. You just got to be... But just don't be upset if he has to go to the AHL. It's not... I'm tired of people thinking that, oh, to the AHL, the Ducks don't know how to properly assess their, their assets. And it's like, no, this is what they need. Let them do this for a couple of years. This is why you don't bring in Lundstrom. This is why you don't, you know, Troy Terry's you know, a little bit different because, you know, he has that, you know, that ability. But where you give that same still a little bit more seasoning down there, and then that's where you can bring him up. And then all of a sudden that confidence is there and that understanding of the game is just a little bit better. Yeah, I, I think even just on a roster standpoint, the fact that we're looking at uh, Richie, Kessler, and Sprong on the outside looking in, it almost makes more sense to put Comtois in the AHL unless he really performs in uh, preseason and training camp where you just have to, like, if he just forces his way onto the roster. But if you just throw him down to San Diego, you make a roster spot for a guy that you really can't healthy scratch, like Nick Richie or maybe yeah. uh, Daniel Sprong or Ryan Kessler if he ends up playing. And then you let Comtois 
get some extra time in the AHL and, and maybe easy make that transition a little bit easier. Instead of coming right out of junior again and into the, the NHL, he gets a little bit of time with San Diego and can play with some good players down there and really continue the development of his game and then come up maybe during injuries or later on in the season and have a similar impact to what we've seen on the second uh, call-ups from Terry and Jones and Steele. Yeah, so to speak, the uh, puck is in his court. He can, uh, you know, if he over-impresses, then he gets a shot. I mean, there's there's no reason to hold him back if he can't produce. At the same time, they're, they're going to look at his entire game and, and not rush him if they don't need to. But if he makes a statement, I mean, it's hard to deny it if you're going to make a statement. So. Yeah, and then, like we said, we'll move into the next part here. Um, if the Ducks end up getting a, a higher draft pick, depending on who they draft, there's always a chance that those guys could get into the lineup as well. And looking at where the Ducks are right now, winning tonight's game put them in uh, eighth spot still, I believe. So they, they moved in front of the Edmonton Oilers with 80 points. Edmonton is 77 with one game remaining. That's impossible for Edmonton to catch them now. So the Ducks right now, the... The only places they can finish are 8th or ninth. Anaheim will finish with the 8th overall pick if Vancouver wins against St. Louis tomorrow. If Vancouver loses, Anaheim will finish with the ninth overall pick because they'll both be on 80 points, but Anaheim has 32 regulation overtime wins and Vancouver would have 29. So it, we're, we're kind of getting down to the final spot. Only two positions the Ducks could finish, both of them within the top 10. The chances of winning the lottery at those spots, 6% 5%. if you finish 8th, 5% if you finish ninth, Not a huge difference, a 1% difference. But, I mean, it still makes a difference. I would rather the Ducks finish 8th. I would rather that Vancouver wins against St. Louis tomorrow. But it doesn't make a huge difference. And then, of course, that changes the furthest the Ducks could fall in the lottery. Uh, they could fall to 11th at the very worst possibility if they finished eighth and they can fall to 12th if they finished ninth. And of course the only way that could happen is if three teams below them in the standings win the lottery, that's how they would fall three spots. So that's again, a team 10, 11 or 12 or down to 15, three of them winning the lottery is next near impossible. So that likely won't happen. So the Ducks should be drafting in the top 10, no matter what. Hopefully that was a crap load they, of numbers. I'm already yeah, confused. Hopefully. <laughs> so they're going to finish 8th or ninth. have a 6 or 5% chance of getting Jack Hughes. Hopefully Sweet. it happens. That's basically <laughs> the, the summary of all that together. Oh, cool. Should have just started with that. Well, <laughs> what are your... <laughs> what are your expectations for, for the draft lottery? Because you and me are going to be doing a live stream on April 9th, Tuesday. I think it was at 8 p.m. Eastern, so that's 5 p.m. Pacific as they're doing a whole hour we, broadcast. We had someone tag us, or his name is Garrett on Twitter, and he was like, what if we got Hughes? Yeah. And then all of a sudden I got really giddy for some odd reason. Like I'm like, what if? What if? That would be awesome. It's still and then, there. And then, but then I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I have no luck. And I like the Ducks, so my, my bad luck will rub off on them and somehow we'll finish 31st. So uh, my expectation <laughs> is that we get somewhere where we place. I don't think we move much, 8th, ninth. Yeah, maybe one of the teams gets ahead of us. But, um, yeah, I'm tempering those expectations to get uh, really high up there, 5% chance. Ain't good Vegas odds. Uh, so it'll be what it is, but we do get a second, uh, you know, a second first round pick. So we at least got two of those. And if there's some way we can package that to maybe get a higher pick, that might be a possibility. 
The one thing I know is that when we get around to draft time, that's that's Bob Murray's happy place. And uh, he absolutely loves to try and wheel and deal and make trades. Um, he's him and the scouting staff at the Ducks are beautiful at how they draft. Not everyone's an, an absolute winner, but they draft way better than most teams do. And now they're of the mindset of if we're going to draft, we're also going to develop. And then the, these will be the guys that we bring up. So uh, it doesn't matter to me. Ideally, yeah, great. We get the top two. Those are the two most NHL ready players. They could probably jump in right away. But if not, I'm fine because we still have a lot of at least forwards kind of clogging the, the whole – I don't want to say clogging, but, I mean, they're, they're in the system to do well for the next foreseeable future. So getting someone that could be a higher draft pick and letting them have to develop would also be ideal because I think anyone we start drafting at this point that's a forward is probably going to have to wait until the Getzloff, Perrys, the Kesslers, the Eves all start coming off the books. Yeah, it, it's an interesting draft this year because, yeah. I mean, it happens every year where there's parity after the first couple picks, but generally there's a consensus on at least the top five or, you know, there from three to five, there's a little bit of parity and then it moves down from, from after that. This year it's like there's Hughes and Kako that are either going to go one, two. I would assume Hughes would go one, but Kako yeah. is making a push to be a, a chance for number one. But after that, I mean, you've got a, a bunch of guys. Like, there's there's some draft boards that I've been looking at today where Kirby Dak is the fourth best. Like, Bob McKenzie put his out. Kirby Dak is his fourth best player. Uh, Steve Cornianos, who we're going to have our draft preview with, has Kirby Dak at number 10. And he has uh, Trevor Zagres and Alex Turcat and Matthew Boldy as guys at four, five, and six. And, you know, these are updated as, as early as uh, yesterday. Uh, Steve Cornianos is a maniac, and he put on his top, <laughs> his top 500. For April, I don't even think 500 guys get drafted. Oh my god! And, uh, yeah, what, what happens when you get to like number 437? You go like, ah, you know. Well, there's what, I seven think I'm rounds. Drop him down to 438. He's just not that much better than 437. Yeah, there's there's seven <laughs> rounds and 31 picks in each round. So, I don't think I could pick a top 500 NHL players that I've watched. Yeah, there, there's literally, like, oh, there's literally like 216, <laughs> 217 picks. So he's more than doubled that in his his rankings because only not even half of the guys he has are good drafted. But it's, it's dedication. He can't high. look at all of them, right? I mean, oh, I, I mean, I would assume stats. so. I mean, you, you've you've ha we've had him on the show. You've heard him. I mean, he yeah, knows literally everything about players, and and he, he that's why he's the best guy to have on. But I mean, back to the draft, you look at it and like. Oh, all over the place. Kirby, the Kirby Dock will use in this example, but he's fourth on one list, tenth on another, fifth on this one. He's eighth on, on a different list. On Tankathon, he's at six. And at um, on uh, what's it called Hockey Writers, he's seventh. And then on uh, Bleach Report, he's eighth. So he literally goes anywhere from four, five, six, seven, eight, ten, and eleven. The only position he doesn't land at is nine, but he literally. <laughs> nine different drafts he's literally all over the place which is just uh, ridiculous that it's this that much parody and the same goes for all the other players that are in and around that spot same with dylan cozens and uh, like i mentioned trevor zagras and Pey peyton krebs and cole caulfield they're all over the place in the in the draft so the ducks 
Yeah, you know, people are saying, oh, Kirby Dock's not going to be available because if the Ducks have eight or nine, that's not going to be the case. Well, it all depends on on who wants who where. And you have to assume that some of these guys in front of the Ducks are going to want to draft defensemen, which is going to push some of the centers down. Bowen Byram, Philip Broberg, Victor Soderstrom, those are going to be defensemen that go above him. The Ducks have a chance. Yeah, the Ducks have a chance at getting a... <laughs> If they don't win the lottery, there's still a chance that Dylan Cozens, Trevor Zegras, Alex Turcott, or uh, Kirby Dock are going to be available. I mean, that's four guys. If they're at eight, you know, with Hughes and Kako going one, two, you just got to hope that two defensemen get picked in, in the early part of the draft, or maybe they go for a winger like Matthew Boldy or Vasily Poltkosen, and you've got one of those guys. And I would be completely fine with one of those four centers in, in Dock, Cozens, uh, Zegras, or Turcott. If the Ducks were able to get one of those guys, and it looks like they should be able to. Yeah, and and the other thing that uh, you know, Ducks fans should know what Bob Murray said is that when you're talking about the first, I think he said two or three rounds, um, you get the best player. It doesn't matter what position it is; you just find the best player or what your scouts feel is the best player, and you have your list, and that's who you grab, even if you know not necessarily like. You know, if it's a right winger and they, you know, wow, we really have a lot of, you know, center depth that we really want to try and focus on at the draft in the first couple of rounds, you get whatever is the best because you can maybe trade that away later for that center you might need down the road. But then it comes into the, you know, maybe the third, fourth, fifth or sixth rounds where you start drafting to what your franchise is going to need moving forward. And then maybe you see more of that center stuff, maybe some of that defense to kind of refill what we're taking away from San Diego or even, you know, at one point we're going to probably, I think we're good on goaltending as far as that goes. So it's, you know, it's, they'll take the best player there, uh, whether it's a center, whether it's a defenseman, it just depends what other teams do. Some other teams don't go that way. They go, well, we need, we need help now in this area. We need a, we need to bolster this up pretty quick, so let's get this guy because positionally he's the top at that position. If the they draft a defenseman <laughs> in with their top ten pick, I'm going to be extremely disappointed because yes, they can. Yes, they need to replenish the the farm system for defensemen, but it's clear that the Ducks need a top center in their system because Sam Steele likely going to be a good second line center. Isaac Blunderstrom, a second or third line center. And Henrique then need, is not top. Yeah. And Henrik's getting older. Right. I mean, you need a top center and you, you're getting a draft Derek where there's Grant. a lot of there's a lot of good centers <laughs> in the first few picks, in the first twelve picks. There's about eight or nine centers in that top part of the draft. And then guess what? From there on to thirty one, it's defensemen and wingers. The Ducks have two first round picks. I think if you're at that pick and it's between Kirby Doc and Bowen Byram, and you might think Bowen Byram, the defenseman, is a better player, you go for Kirby Doc, you take the center, and then you take a defenseman or maybe a winger with your second pick that's going to be between 20 and 31. You got it. Yes, I, I, I generally agree with take the best player available, but the Ducks do not need another defenseman right now. You've got Lindholm, you've got Fowler on the left side that are going to be here for a while. Yes, they're weak on the right side, but all the defensemen I mentioned are all left-handed. 
you don't have a right-handed defenseman, a right-shot defenseman in that first part of the draft. So you got to go center it with the top <laughs> But you're, you're also talking about Bob Murray, the defenseman who says, I'll, I want defensemen. Swedish you defense. can never have too many defensemen, I believe, is one of his quotes. Yeah. Well, so, he loves Swedish defensemen in Broberg and so does Exactly. That was my two next question. I was like, are there, any of those guys from Sweden? <laughs> yeah, two, of the, two of the three are from Sweden. The oh, okay, there the you go. We're where, getting one of them. He also likes <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I hope they go center. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. It all starts with the draft lottery, which, as I mentioned, me and Jason will be doing a live broadcast up on Twitch. If you haven't checked it out, it's twitch.tv slash forevermighty. Go give us a follow there uh, and so that you get a notification when we do go live for that. I believe it's a, the what I saw today is it's going to be at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Is they're going to do a national broadcast for the draft lottery this year. And from what I read, it looks like it's actually going to be all done at the same time this time. No waiting in between periods for a game in a playoff game. For that <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that was That's a nightmare. so stupid. Oh, yeah, because it's before the playoffs start this year. Right, because playoffs yeah. start on April 10th. So thank yeah. God they're doing it. We don't have to worry about that. So we literally will it's have weird we'll they're have doing it, it like at that late at night. I figured they might do it like midday or something. Yeah, I don't it, know. It, it's a, a little bit interesting, but at least uh, we know that we're going to be on there for no longer than an hour unless the Ducks get Jack Hughes because we're going to have to throw a party. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then, uh, you know, it'll take us about 40 minutes from running around and celebrating and hanging out with and, neighbors. And <laughs> as, as we said yesterday, if if the, the Ducks uh, logo comes at, out at 8 or 9 or wherever they finish, that's the end of the stream. <laughs> that, yeah. that's as far as it goes because I'm telling you right now on stream I will not want to see the LA Kings winning the draft lottery that would be a nightmare that's not happening uh, I gotta stick around uh, for that I'm sorry There's, that, that'll be like my, my soaps that'll be my stories I gotta watch I gotta watch to the end well you can I watch see, I guess who gets number one huh? yeah. yeah the stream doesn't have to be live for that Nobody wants no. to watch us react live to <laughs> the LA Kings getting the first overall pick. Like, I might. I'll bring my dad finished. on. He's a Kings fan. Well, yeah, <laughs> they're already going to finish at two uh, at the end of the season unless they win tomorrow, or unless they win tomorrow and New Jersey loses, then they'll finish at three. So there's two battles tomorrow that you got to hope for. One, that the Ducks, uh, that Vancouver, uh, Vancouver wins. Wins. Vancouver wins. You want New Jersey to lose and LA to win. That's what you want for tomorrow. I can't see any that's, of that happening. Uh, that's, yeah, that's I can't it. see any of that happening because St. Louis is in the fight for possibly the top spot in the Central Division, yeah. and so they're you know what's Vancouver? I mean, but the only thing is that they're gripping their sticks a little too tight and they're not scoring goals. But other than that, I don't see Vancouver exactly just you know, <laughs> uh, you know, stomping them or anything. So ninth it is. Yeah, well, let's get into the fan <laughs> questions because Pat is having an aneurysm here because we're going oh, no. over an hour and five minutes. Oh, no. Well, he should have seven. been on the podcast. Oh. Yeah. Well, <laughs> on Facebook, JJ said the Ducks' most dynamic line combination next year will be in question marks. She said Jones, Getzlaff, and Kasha. And then said thanks for all the great uh, talk content this season. Go Ducks. Oh. Well, thanks, JJ. Thank um, you. So, Getzlaff. Jones, Kasha, do you see that as being a line possibly for the Ducks next year? Yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really see a reason why not. Because um, Kasha can finish, uh, much like Raquel could, and gets left. And Raquel had some chemistry there. I think Kasha's got some speed. I think uh, uh, Max Jones brings a little bit of what Corey Perry used to do, 
Uh, and that's just getting in front of the net and being tenacious for pucks and, and being able to feed a Getzloff or a Kasha. And I still feel Getzloff is finishing ability. And if he's not the one that has to try and set up plays, uh, I think that would that would be an awesome line. Um, you know, it just it depends if that chemistry is there because sometimes you can have all the right pieces that seem like they're going to yeah. fit, and then they just don't click. For whatever reason, it's just you know, the pass is just a little behind, a little bit in front, and then nothing ever ends up materializing. Uh, but you know those those I feel are probably our most dynamic players, and when you you know besides Raquel maybe in there, uh, and having three dynamic players on any line is a good thing to have. But I don't know. I, I think they probably want to try and spread it out a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I actually honestly like that line, and it gives me I, – I do like Steele, Silverberg, Raquel as a, a line for the Ducks next year. I think that's what they should go with. But I honestly like this better with Getzlaff, Cash, and Jones because that means you could put Henrique with Terry and Comtois possibly. And I like those two combos more than what Eric Steven had suggested before yeah. because I like Jones being up in, in the top nine and playing with a player like Getzlaff. We know Kasha had some chemistry with Getzlaff as well. And then Henrik and Terry worked well together, and throwing Comtois on that line with Adam Henrik, I think, works really well for all three of their games. So I wouldn't mind seeing those nine guys as the top nine for next year. It does leave out some players, Corey Perry. Uh, yeah, where are we going to put Strong, Hughes? Nick Ritchie. Yeah, Jack Hughes. <laughs> Jack Hughes throws a wrench into all of this, and yeah, it's not a right. bad thing, but it's <laughs> yeah. like... It really First makes you have to, right there. you know, Adam Henrique, I don't see him being a part of the team if Jack Hughes ends up getting, if the Ducks get Jack Hughes, I can't see it because you've got too many centers at that point. Somebody has to be moved out the door. Uh, but I don't want to get in that. Yeah. No. If we get in on that, we're going to be on here for another here 10 forever. We, we, we can do it on our Twitch thing on Tuesday. Yeah, we got to get through the rest of these questions. So Justin, uh, Justin, who was at the Ducks uh, gaming tournament, who wore a hat to the tournament, uh, he had a question. Yeah, he said, what are some positive and negatives of the season? He said a positive for him was Carlisle is gone in a high draft pick. Negative for him was that Cogs is not a duck anymore. The injuries and no playoffs. Wish we could have a full duck season with no injuries, but that's just the blood of the ducks. Uh, yeah, I would um, agree with most of those. Honestly, I think positive them, is a high draft pick. That's really the only positive and the kids and the kids. Kids coming in. And I think a lot of that also for the most part has to do a little bit with uh, Carlisle leaving. I think that's another big thing that we were, it just took too damn long to happen. And that's why we're, we're sitting here now and the season's over. Uh, in my opinion, if this happens a little bit earlier, I say well before January, uh, but you know, I can understand why Bob Murray wanted to wait. We have, it happened last season where, you know, we just meddling around. We weren't as bad or as awful looking as we were this season. But then we turned it on the last half, and we were sharp, and uh, we finished, you know, second. Uh, we, we won the division last year. I can't remember if we won the division. Uh, no, no, second. we didn't because we played second. San Jose in the first round. So Vegas we got won. second. But I mean, we got over a hundred points, and that's, you know, you know. So I can understand waiting a little bit, but I felt it was waiting a little too long. So I'm glad Carlisle's gone. Uh, I don't agree with me being sad about Cogliano gone. Although nice, love, love him, nice guy, love the Cogs for dogs and that sort of deal. Uh, in my opinion, um, he's ha he has speed, but he has hands of cement. Uh, there was just there was no finishing ability a year in year out. Uh, about the only thing he was there for was kind of leadership. And at one point, he was part of a shutdown line, but now Kessler is gone as well. Silverberg's thriving in a non-shutdown role, so I'm not too sad to see him go. Although I can understand him being a fan favorite, and Iron Man, you can kind of feel for that. But I think Shore's perfectly acceptable replacement. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with most of those. I mean, the positive, again, like I said, are the, the kids doing well at the late part of the season. Uh, you've got the high draft pick, which is a positive for me. And, and then the negatives, again, I agree with the fact that the injuries were negative because there's so many the Ducks had to deal with this year. And even into the end of the season with Gooley getting hurt in the last game again and Troy Terry breaking his leg, like... Those are those are something we've been dealing with. Kasha's the negatives, injuries. yeah, he's, yeah, he's and, and Kessler and Eves, and not knowing what's going to be going on with them. So there was a lot of negatives this year, but there are there are some positives, and there's some lights at the end of the tunnel when you look at a lot of the young guys coming up and the fact they have a high draft pick. So, yeah. you know that that generally happens in a bad season. You've you've got a look towards the future with the draft pick, and and usually younger players get to come up and play. So. I, I tend to agree with that. But uh, moving on to Instagram, we had a, a ton of questions on here. Uh, Sierra said, does Grant stay or do we let him walk again? So I think probably, he's gone. I think it depends. I think, I think they let him walk, yeah. I think of Jack Hughes, he's gone because it's another <laughs> center. Yeah, and it just doesn't make sense. Um, I would like him to stay. I think he's gone, though. Yeah, it, it kind of – it kind of depends because they got to make that decision, obviously, before the season starts. And they got to just feel if they've got enough center depth because you got your Getzloff. I assume Kessler's gone, and that leaves Henrique, Sam Steele to jump in. And they, they might want to keep Grant around just to, to be that versatile player. Like I said, the fourth line tonight I thought was really good. I think Derek Grant couldn't excel at a fourth line center position. Uh, it just comes at what cost. They let him walk last year, you know, before ultimately trading back for him. Um, but, you know, they, they could also try and test maybe free agency and see if they can get someone cheaper who's, you know, maybe another center. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I mean, you know, they already let him walk once. So I, I can't, uh, you know, say that, oh, yeah, no, why would they let him walk twice? Because they absolutely would. Yeah, there's no question the Ducks up front forward, they have a couple decisions. I think the only place they really need to go and get somebody is on defense. That's... Defense, they need one one big body because uh, Holzer, yeah. I don't think, is signed through next season. So I feel like uh, they're, they're, Bob Murray said that in the breakfast too. They're looking for a big defenseman or at least one with a really good point shot to kind of quarterback a power play. That's, yeah. that's and, one big thing on his list. And, and one guy I already identified um, – plays in Finland. I think he was defenseman of the year in Finland this year. This, I can never butcher his name. I think it was Kaski or Kaxi uh, was nailed his last it. name. You he nailed it. was putting up almost a point per game in Finland. He's a right shot defenseman, a power play quarterback, exactly what the Ducks could need. So if they wanted to go big, that could be potentially, and they like to go to Europe. You know, they like to yeah. go to Europe and bring players in. So that, that could be it. Um, yeah. But Canadian, Canadian girl, she asked, how do you guys feel about Getzloff playing with Perry again? Uh, I think it was just like an end-of-season thing. I don't see it being a, a full-time thing. I don't think it should be a full-time thing again. I would rather see gets up, like we said, with Kasher or with Terry or with somebody else like that. Yeah, they're at different levels. Uh, Perry, although better than he's been in the past season, um, he's still he's not the same Perry that was going to work well with Getzloff. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what the off season does, what Perry looks like coming in, but he's now at a point where he's going to have to battle for any sort of uh, position or playing time. So, I mean, there's, you know, there's points where he was in the fourth line this, you know, this uh, season, even uh, after Carlisle was gone. So he'll, he'll end up moving around um, and it's going to be hard to want to pair him with Getzloff, unless you're really just desperate and pulling at strings, because I think uh, there's other players that have a finishing ability that Perry doesn't have anymore uh, that would complement Getzloff a lot better. No, 
I, I think so. I think the days of Getzlaff and Perry are are pretty I mean, much in the they, books. They'll happen time. every now and again. Like I said, just, you know, hey, we haven't scored two games. Let's give this a shot. <laughs> I mean, that's that's probably... Hopefully that's year. not the case next year. Yeah, right. Hopefully they score more goals <laughs> than they did this year. But uh, yeah. uh, Ricky asked a question. I likely can't answer this. I don't know if you can, but he said, any guess on when the team store end a season sale is? Uh, I have no idea when it ever takes place, but uh, no, it's usually like, oh hey, it's over in like an hour. Come on down. Yeah, I don't. I would I, assume. No, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure when it is. I think it's Probably generally soon. within a week of the yeah. season ending. So I, I thought it was like when I used to see it, it was like uh, almost after locker clearout, so they could get all the players out of there. And yeah, you do the the exit interviews, that sort of deal, and that'll probably happen in the next couple of days. So you know, I, I would say usually within about a week of the season ending, they usually have that sale going on. So uh, I would, I would just say the best best way to know for sure is just start following Anaheim Ducks on Twitter. You know, if you've got a Twitter or anything like that, I'm sure they'll be posting when it's happening at some point or just give them a call i'm sure they'll be yeah yeah you just call say hey when's this happening anyway uh last question from sierra it's a good one to end on she said the favorite moment of the season oh geez um this is going to be big recency bias for me because i probably can't yeah yeah i'm trying to go back because there really wasn't much in the beginning beginning of the middle part of the season where everything went well i'll let you know for me recent sam Steele's hat trick was really cool because i've been waiting for him to Really have a coming out party and and get you know in form and play better for the Ducks. That that's a recent one. That's without me really. I honestly, this is more have for a recap show. More. I think yeah. like when we because we're going to be doing a, an end of season review for the Ducks sometime next week uh, as our next podcast. Like this, yes, is the end of the post game shows, of course, for the season. But it, we're still going to be doing content throughout yeah. the summer. And and the next thing we have in line actually is the draft lottery show. And then we're going to have. Our end of season review, which is going to be all three of us. It's going to be me, you, and Pat on oh, that Pat show. Oh, Pat finally decides to show up. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, I, I that's where say, that's where I can answer this question better. I think <laughs> I would probably, uh, you know, once again, maybe a little bit, little bit uh, recency bias would be uh, Max Jones getting his first goal. Yeah, I just felt cool. like everyone collectively just sighed, and felt better <laughs> about themselves. And it was an eight-two win, so it was like, yeah, that was. Yeah, it was just like it finally happened. It was a good one. It was against uh, Carey Price, uh, you know, elite goalie. And it's, uh, yeah, that was probably the feel-good moment because there, there wasn't a whole lot this season. Um, Maxie yeah, Comfort's yeah, really... first goal of the season was pretty cool, too. Who's? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, on his first shift, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, first shift, first shot for him. That was pretty cool. Or Carlisle being fired. Yeah, Carlo being fired. That was that was a pretty good moment this year. That I might guess take Korea, Korea's. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you came but all I the way out for that. That was that was probably our yeah, highlight. The game was like but... a little special like affinity with that because we were all there for that. So it was like yeah. that one kind of holds a better place because we got to experience it. I think like if if I was watching it on TV, I think like novelty thing, you'd be like, yeah, that was one of the cooler nights yeah. of the season. But the fact you were there for it, I think, it, yeah. It, a, a bit of a, a more special place than the others but yeah. um that pretty much wraps up the show we went uh, extra long today but that's fair enough because it was the last game of the season and uh, trying to squeeze out the extra you know now now we did a lot of work this year now yes. that it's coming to an end you kind of want to just hold on to it a little bit longer uh, no, 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 it was sad. <laughs> yeah but uh 
we will we're not disappearing you know nope. you, you can still catch us everyone on social media we're going to be doing a lot this summer to make the podcast better and expand the forever mighty brand throughout the entire summer and into next season so as we mentioned we've got a lot of shows coming up the draft lottery live broadcast on twitch we've got the end of season recap show with the three of us we've got a draft show with steve cordiano's draft preview show coming up sometime by the end of the month so you've got in the next 24 days at least those three shows to look forward to and then if you happen to be a member of our patreon you've got four bonus shows to look forward to as well every single one out, yeah exactly if you haven't checked that out it's patreon.com slash puck guys forever mighty and uh, we do four bonus shows a month. We've got the Pucks and Brews show. Uh, we've got a Q&A show, a top 10 show, which changes every now and then. Uh, and then we have the Rant show, which also changes every now and then. But uh, either way, you've got four bonus episodes, uh, three if you're a $5 tier, and then the four, you get the extra one if you're the $10 tier. So there's a lot of great stuff there. And you get uh, I, this. I have to grab this. The Puck Bottle uh, if you're a $10 tier, mm-hmm. which is really great. And it is actually a puck pretty awesome I just got my, a lot of <laughs> legit i did um and then the vet, we're, we're have merchandise on the way a lot of you've seen the hats that we have uh those are on the way i know a lot of you are probably on the pre-order list who are listening to this right now especially the those people listening live so we will um we will have those coming soon we're working on the prices still and hopefully in the coming months or so we'll have a website set up that it'll be easier for you guys to just go and purchase those without us having to get a pre-order list and get everybody's information down and do it that way. But and, and before everyone tunes out, we got a bracket challenge where we can actually win one of those hats. Right, yeah. So if you yeah. want to win one and get in uh, before the pre-sale, uh, go join our bracket challenge. We have it pinned on Twitter, so if you're on Twitter, go check it out. Um, we also put the link out on Instagram or Facebook, so you can go check any of those. Just scroll down our posts on, on Instagram and Facebook. You'll see it near the top, and there's a link that you can go and join it. Uh, the password, it says on the graphic, but it's forever mighty, no space, uh, all uh, no caps at all. Uh, you can get in there. I think there's about 40 people in there right now. Uh, but it's password protected so that basically only listeners of the show can get in so we can actually get a hat to somebody that wants the hat rather than having it open to the public. And then any guy who comes in here sees as many as he can get into and just joins it. And then some random guy, uh, you know, gets the hat that doesn't even want it. So we want to get the hat to you guys. That's the whole point of doing it. So that's why we have it password protected. But make sure you go and join that and uh, try and win the hat. It's going to be great. Yeah. Cool hot. And- Cool Hockey, thank you for an entire season of sponsoring us and uh, Forever Mighty Three Stars. A lot of great people got jerseys this year. We've got one more left. Today was the last day, potentially, of Forever Mighty Three Stars. Unless we had a uh, a tie, then I've got to do something for that. Uh, A rock, paper, scissor? Well, I'm gonna try and get it, uh, it edited and or I'll get it updated by tomorrow, so that if there is a tie. We can do it for the last games of the season, pick a game and do something for that. Uh, but uh, oh, get I, on it, get off of so that. I got. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it after the show. Get it updated, and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll have an idea of who won, and that will be the last one. But it'll be back next season. So for everybody, three stars will be back. If you missed it this year, make sure to tune in next year. We got a lot of fun things on the way, and we hope to see you guys throughout the summer. All right, bye guys. See ya. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding expectations, simplifying lives, and establishing legacies that last for generations. Leverage their exclusive network of experts to help achieve your personal and professional financial goals. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect to a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.